today on the show, death, ethically speaking, what a fainting goat and Kathleen Sunday likely have in common, a new religion that might ring all too true, our picks of the week and so much more, the Catholic Underground starts right now. It's time for the CU Weekly, the Catholic Underground. We're the podcast that tries to cut through the noise of the digital continent and bring you the topics that matter. It's episode number 402. I am Father Chris Decker. Joining me this week, well, we've got Kathleen Lee. I, I was not even expecting that. That was glorious. That was awesome. <laughs> she is the executive director of the Woman's New Life Center mm-hmm. here in Baton Rouge. Hey, Kathleen. Hey, how are y'all? Yes, is, that's quite a tease for your segment. <laughs> it, yeah, 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 it is. Get yeah. ready. <laughs> uh, Olivia Galino is a student of life. She's our resident Italian food critic, um, and <laughs> she wasn't ready for that, apparently, I guess. I, I have, like, actual tears coming out of my eyes. Hello, everyone. It's <laughs> a good joke. Ah, yeah. Uh, Jeff Blackwell is the technical director of the CU. He's the commandant of the Jeff Star One Near-Earth Orbit Satellite, and he joins us. Hey, Jeff. Hello, Father. More silly pills for everybody, please. <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, and uh, if you happen to be watching us, I understand that Roku's having a little trouble right now, um, but uh, but we're working it out. You are joining us, and you're watching the video on the podcast. Uh, it's Ed Ball who's doing all of that. He is He's our video back. director. He's back. Mm-hmm. He's back, and we put him through his paces. Um, mm-hmm. We're going through some, some uh, scheduled maintenance here at the studio, and so we do have uh, another video monitor. That's uh, that's present uh, mainly mainly because Kathleen's shot needed more monitors. Yes, I needed more craziness in my shot. Yeah, and mm. so, yeah. <laughs> it's actually just part of Kathleen's contract. Yeah, uh, for it. for every six years that she's on the show, a new monitor has to be in her shot. <laughs> so it's just I mean we're just trying to abide it's by where we are. Yeah, it's right I mean it's a way of we'll counting re- anniversaries. We'll renegotiate. I mean <laughs> at some could, point. Could we go for smaller monitors? I think. <laughs> no. Oh okay. I thought when I came in, I said you know. Father Chris said, oh, is something new in there? And I said, a disco ball? He said, no. no not yet. A uh, pony? Yet. A pony? Is no. it a pony? No. I, I think we'll definitely have to renegotiate if Kathleen gets a pony. Oh, yes. All righty. Well, uh, you know, normally we start with a light topic, but there's so much that's going on in the news mm-hmm. that uh, as we try to kind of cut through the noise, we thought it would be a good idea to spend a little bit of time on what is generally kind of a heavy topic. Uh, and that is uh, a Christian-run health system in Colorado uh, has fired a veteran doctor who went to court to fight for the right of her patient to use the state's uh, so-called medical aid in dying law, mm. citing religious doctrine that describes assisted suicide as intrinsically evil. So uh, the Centura Health Corporation, which is an, uh, a health care system that's administered jointly by the Catholic Church and the Seventh-day Adventist Church, uh, terminated one of the doctors that worked for Centura, and that's Dr. Barbara Morris. Uh, she was a geriatrician, so someone who works with the elderly, uh, with 40 years of experience, and she planned to help her patient, uh, Cornelius Mahoney, uh, end his life at home. He has terminal cancer, and he's eligible to use this state's law, which was approved by Colorado vo- voters, uh, unanim- well, not mm-hmm. unanimously, but overwhelmingly right. in 2016. And so this is one of a growing number of uh, state aid in dying provisions that are increasingly now coming more into conflict with faith-based hospitals and, dare we say, um, people of faith as right. well, mm-hmm. you know? And so this was, was quite a thing, um, and it, it happened very recently uh, by our calendar, August 26th of 2019, um, because Morris joined with Mahoney, so the doctor joined with her patient 
in filing a state lawsuit that alleges that Centura's faith-based policy violates the law that allows doctors to prescribe lethal uh, drugs to dying patients who want to end their own lives. And the reason that the, um, that the doctor's uh, contract was, was terminated was because she defied church doctrines that govern her employment. Mm-hmm. And so, as you know, uh, in most uh, faith-based systems, so like a health system or even certainly the church, right. is that you can put those moral clauses within a contract. And so right. if somebody comes to work for you, it's very clear that if you violate this this moral situation, mm-hmm. then then you, you no longer have uh, have employment because you violated the terms of your contract. Right. And so um, and so this is exactly what happened. So uh, they they allege that she had violated the terms of her physician's empl- employment agreement, um, and quote encouraged an option that she knew was morally unacceptable to her employer. Unquote. And so that that's where we find ourselves. And mm-hmm. so um, the the lawsuit kind of went on. Um, rather, and, and the document uh, that was hand-delivered to, uh, to Dr. Morris uh, said that rather than encouraging the patient to receive care con- uh, consistent with the doctrine of, of the church or of the healthcare system or transferring care to other providers, uh, they allege that she encouraged a morally unacceptable option. And, of course, that jives with, uh, with Catholic teaching mm-hmm. that uh, we may never condone or participate in euthanasia or assisted suicide in any way. Such acts are described as intrinsically immoral and intrinsically evil. Uh, and those actually were, were phrases that were used in the document that mm-hmm. was delivered to Dr. Morris to explain the gravity of the situation. Yeah. Um, it also said that patients experiencing suffering that cannot be alleviated should be helped to appreciate the Christian understanding of redemptive suffering. Mm-hmm. And so we, we find uh, a, a, lot of, um, a lot of conjecture uh, on the part of, of the state, you know, trying to kind of right. uh, uphold what, uh, what it places before its voters. But at the same time, uh, we also recognize that, uh, that there is a, a kind of a moral quality that exists right. uh, even if a law is passed that is, uh, that is morally unacceptable yeah. for people of faith. Yeah, you know, I always find it really interesting when people who will work for a faith-based organization, organization mm-hmm. and then they they fight it, you know. And, and I, like I think I would never, you know, I've I've taught in Catholic schools and worked in Catholic organizations uh, forever, so I, it's pretty easy. Yeah. Um, but I would imagine like if I taught at you know an Episcopalian school or mm-hmm. if I taught at a Jewish school, yeah, you'd abide. I'd abide right. by this, and mm-hmm. and you know. It, it just blows my mind when people are so unaware or they're just so dismissive mm-hmm. of... Well, and it's a, it's a real sticky situation because on the part of the doctor, um, whenever, whenever you're perhaps uninformed about, about the, the larger sources of morality, because we don't right. know the faith uh, tradition right. of, sure. of, uh, of Dr. Morris, but, um, but whenever there's kind of a, maybe a, a worldly informed notion... Right. then there is also, a, therefore, a misunderstood notion mm-hmm. of what it means to, to help a patient yeah. uh, come to terms with the condition that they have. Yeah. And, uh, and that's, it, it really is a, a difficult, difficult situation, yeah. you know. Well, the, the whole teaching of redemptive suffering is, is one that's very difficult to understand. You know, if we can alleviate suffering, why not do it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's really, I mean, like I'm trying to teach that to juniors in high school is, almost impossible yeah. you know because we live in a world where seeking pleasure and avoiding pain right is the most important at thing. all costs like i remember one time uh, one of my professors dr petrie told me um that if he went to the hospital he was gonna you know like deny 
um, like over extraordinary over, measures. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and 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 overly medicated. You know, because mm-hmm. he was like, it robs me of my opportunity to unite my suffering with mm-hmm. Christ. Yeah. And I remember thinking, you're nuts, though. And now I'm like, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I see you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we do. We, f- we forget about that is is without the cross, the suffering that we experience, really, we don't have any way to grapple with it. We don't have any way to, to explain it, and we don't have any way to welcome it into our lived experience. Mm-hmm. But with the cross of Jesus Christ, uh, mm-hmm. with, with our Redeemer suffering upon the cross, all of a sudden it changes the ability that we have to enter into that, that suffering with him. And that's, of course, what we would call redemptive suffering that uh, the suffering that we undergo uh, with Christ um, in, in, our own, in our own bodies, making up what is lacking in the suffering of Christ in our own bodies, as St. Paul says, that does have an effect, and it also has uh, the ability to merit effects uh, mm-hmm. in, in other ways, right? It has a real spiritual effect. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's one of those things that, that certainly doesn't get play in, in our culture today, mm-hmm. but it also enters into situations like this, where you have uh, a legislature certainly uh, passing into law something that is voted on by the people, uh, the people who perhaps are not morally educated, right, who, who right. don't have a, a sense of that and, and only kind of understand this Epicurean mm-hmm. uh, way of, of living. Uh, the Archdiocese of Denver, of course, supported Centura Health's efforts to uphold church doctrine, saying, asking a Christian hospital to play any role in violating the dignity of human life is asking the Christian hospital to compromise its values and core mission. Uh, the spokesman, Mark Haas, said. Uh, he also said, quote, this is not the hospital forcing its beliefs on others, but rather having outside views forced upon mm-hmm. it, yes. unquote. Mm-hmm. And of course, others disagree. Mm-hmm. There is um, um, a group in Florida called the Final Exit Network, and they have a uh, general counsel. Uh, they are a nonprofit group that promotes right-to-die causes. Mm-hmm. And um, and let's see, Robert Rivas, who is uh, their general counsel, says, quote, when you look closely at what they are saying, speaking of Centura Health, um, unquote, it, it, or quote, it turns out they really want to be empowered to force their religion on others, unquote. Mm. And this is perhaps the, um, the, the straw man that, that mm-hmm. comes into it, too, right. is, is not recognizing that there is an absolute set of circumstances, and that's what we would call the dignity of human life. Mm-hmm. Well, and two, I think people don't um, always have a, a sense of the, the dichotomy between moral law and civil law. Yeah. And um, Aquinas talks about this, how, you know, you you certainly have to uphold civil laws, but when they um, require you to break moral laws or when they themselves don't uphold the moral yeah. law, that requirement is done. Right. Right. Because it is the moral law that is the, the in like that the supersedes. hierarchy of law. Yeah. yeah it, the right. moral law supersedes, is superior to the civil law. Mm-hmm. So this is... A, it's interesting that he is is trying to make the case that um, that this is an instance of forcing religion on other people when in fact it's it's really that other um, the with the spokesman who for the archdiocese said that um, it's outside uh, or extrinsic forces trying to find their way in mm-hmm. um, because it is something that is extrinsic extrinsic to the Christian message which hasn't changed y'all right. like this is not yeah. something that's new to people yeah. right and even though the laws change and they do. Uh, this this is essential. The dignity of human life is the central tenet, um, mm-hmm. especially of our moral law. Um, mm-hmm. That and the love of God and love of neighbor. It's interesting. Also, in the uh, the counterpoint, um, 
the uh, Catherine Tucker, who is the executive director of the End of Life Liberty Project, which also sounds, you know, I mean, I'm speaking as a, as a Christian broadcaster, right. <laughs> also sounds uh, precarious. I mean, mm -hmm. it sounds mm -hmm. like a, golly, End of Life Liberty Project? No, that's uh, licentiousness, actually. Mm -hmm. But uh, mm -hmm. let, me, let me just quote here. Uh, what's getting lost here, and this is true, what's getting lost here is the patient and the doctor may hold equally strong ethical and religious views as Centura. Um, but this is where it, it diverges. Why, quote, why should their views be overridden by the views of corporate religious medicine, unquote? The, that whole phrase, corporate religious medicine, yeah. is, is an interesting construct, mm -hmm. um, saying that, uh, that, that there's kind of a, a godlessness yeah. to it, and there's only a religiosity. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, this is where, uh, you know, whenever you go to the polls and whenever you go to, um, really to, to, to the tabernacle to pray, these things are are ever more in front mm -hmm. of us, you know, and uh, and we really, as Catholics, have a responsibility to know what the Church teaches and also what we are we are what we are asked to assent to in our belief. If if I believe that all life has value, and I believe that there is a value and redemptive suffering is real, then it therefore means that I have to believe certain things about uh, what happens when it when my time comes to determine health care for myself or for mm -hmm. others. And, and that is a, a very real, a real thing, and it's a reality that oftentimes we allow, if we're not careful, we allow the world around us to inform us. And of course, we want to seek pleasure and avoid pain. And so that's how we start, um, once again, kind of right. opening those, those old wounds of, of assisted suicide and mm -hmm. all the stuff that Dr. Kevorkian made, made mm -hmm. famous in the 80s and 90s. We're experiencing today, but with a whole bunch of new terminology to try mm -hmm. to push it through as a counter morality, mm -hmm. you yeah. know. Yeah. I recently watched a um, like a YouTube documentary on uh, a man who was who was going through this, and uh, I watched it because what I what I deal with now is respect life, and I'm trying to make sure that that for me it's day to day with with women in unplanned pregnancies, um, but I'm trying to make sure like I get a, a wide view, mm -hmm. and it was the it was the hardest thing to watch, yeah. and just so incredibly sad um, for him and for his mm -hmm. family, and you know, and and they were like, oh, I'm so happy for him. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot going yeah, on here. Yeah, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. How does he feel about it? Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. uh, that's mm -hmm. true. Uh, but it, you know, the the one thing is important is is we do need to see the patient as the patient, right? right? The person who is suffering must be seen as a person, and and obviously we we must enter into their suffering with them. See, that's one of the things is is to to alleviate suffering. Um, completely mm -hmm. is not fully desiring to enter into the suffering with the person. You right. know, there, there, there's all things to be said about palliative care and comfort care and pain management. Those are all mm -hmm. important and those are all part of, of what we would believe is consonant with our Catholic faith. Mm -hmm. But but to truly entering in, enter into, as Simon of Cyrene did, this was a man who was healthy, you know, uh, and mm -hmm. yet he began to bear the burdens with Jesus so much so that he did not walk away without scars, right? Mm -hmm. He didn't walk away without, without the feeling the burden of the cross. Mm -hmm. And we're called to do that as well. And it's not an easy thing to do, you mm -hmm. know? Uh, the gospel for this weekend says that unless you take up your cross and follow after me, you cannot be my disciple. Mm -hmm. And part of our discipleship means that we will always help a person on the way to life and never on the way to death, even yeah. if they are in a terminal situation. It's not easy. It's not easy at all.
Yeah. And it's the, it's the moral law that helps us to do that, right? So we, mm-hmm. we have a free will and God honors our will. So God honors the fact that we get to choose, not choose anything, right? But we're, we're created to choose the good, yeah. right? Oftentimes we think about it as like a choice between like uh, the infinite number of choices in the world, but no, mm-hmm. it's the choice to do the good. Yeah. And whenever we are running up against, you know, not doing the good or actively doing an evil or a wrong, then that's when the moral law comes in, uh, conscience comes in to kind of referee us and help Help us find our way back. Yep. So this is this is medicine. Mm-hmm. You know, morality is medicine too. Uh, might not seem like that, um, especially when it has all this, these legal ramifications. But that's right, and and that's the T-shirt. Morality is medicine. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the other thing that might look good on a T-shirt is us. We are the Catholic Underground. I was thinking the logo might look good on a t-shirt. But you meant like just us? Not not our faces. But, Flag. you know, if you wanted to put Kathleen oh on a t-shirt, I See bet you'd enjoy merch. it. See you merch. We do have an old store with merchandise. Uh, by the way, you're listening to Catholic Underground. We're online at catholicunderground.tv. I am Father Chris, joined by Kathleen Lee, Olivia Galino, Jeff Blackwell's in space, as is Ed Ball. Our picks of the week are coming up. But first, stop what you're doing. Lay down and have a nap. Take a nap. Yes. <laughs> I did travels. yesterday. It's so hot in Louisiana yeah. right now that about noon, my body went, you need to sit yeah. down, brother. Just said and no. And I took a nap. No more. Yes. If you want to be like the Lord, like your creator, uh-huh. take a nap. Oh. Yes. Oh. Right. Work is good, but absolutely it needs to be balanced with rest. Mm-hmm. Right. So that we can more closely imitate God who, of course, we know, rested, right? Re- recent studies have claimed um, that the average work week is gradually increasing. So where it used to be you were working 40 hours a week, we're now creeping up to about 50 hours a week. And I Ugh. would I would venture to say um, that that's more. Mm-hmm. That is, that's way more. Generally for priests, it's uncal- right? incalculable. Yeah, because <laughs> y'all work, y'all, yes. If your eyes work. are open, you're working. Yes. <laughs> that's true enough, I suppose. Right? Oh. What oh, isn't readily recorded is the uh, recent wa- rise recent rise in stay-at-home jobs, right? So if you're working from home, the lines of work and home mm-hmm. are certainly can get blurred, yeah. right? Unless you stay on top of it and you build in some time for, for rest and family. Um, in many parts of the world, Sunday is not even considered a day of rest anymore. It becomes an extra day to catch up on work before you have to go back to work, right? Uh, how many of us take stuff home? You know, when I was teaching, I took stuff home every night. Mm-hmm. I was probably working. Is that happening yet, Olivia? Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But we do that. We're like, oh, if I don't finish it today, I will bring it home and work on it tonight or this weekend. Um, And this totally defeats the point of Sunday. Mm -hmm. I'm so respectful of those those families or those people who are like, don't call me on Sunday. Yeah. I'm not talking to you. I'm like, all right. That sounds good to me. Mm-hmm. Right. The idea of rest is slowly disappearing from our own lives, from society. Right. How many 24 seven things do we have going on that are open? You can go to McDonald's at two o'clock in the morning. It's fine. Um, we're, there is no unless you rest. want ice cream. I know that machine's always down for the that's, evening. That's the truth. <laughs> right. Just saying. That is true. <laughs> I can't get a McFlurry ever. Never. <laughs> of course, I haven't tried since 2013. But and that makes me McFurious. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. There's the, You're welcome. There's the episode uh, title. Yes, indeed. <laughs> well, and as we know, right now we have 24 hour banking, 24 hour convenience stores, 24 hour TV networks, right? Mm-hmm. There was a time when. They play the national anthem at what? 
mid- midnight, midnight mm-hmm. and then sleep, yeah. everybody went to bed because there was nothing else on TV. Yeah. But now we can serve 800 channels, mm-hmm. right? But we know that Jesus said in the beginning, it was not <laughs> so, right? Mm-hmm. This is not the way it's supposed to be. And in fact, St. Pope John Paul II wrote in his encyclical, Laborum Exorcens. Oh, yes. you got it? Yeah, because I look, I know my <laughs> Latin. Mm-hmm. Um, how we need to look back to the book of Genesis Right, to understand the dignity of our work as well as the inherent need to rest. We are not like, we are human beings. We've probably heard this, not human doings, mm-hmm. right? We like, work should bring us fulfillment and joy, right? But it shouldn't be the end all be all. There is a necessity to rest. Um, there's a quote here, it says, this description of creation, which we find in the very first chapter of the book of Genesis, is also in a sense the first gospel of work. How cool is this? Mm-hmm. For it shows that the dignity of work consists consists of, it teaches the man um, that man ought to Im- imitate God, his creator, in working because man alone has a unique characteristic of likeness to God, mm-hmm. right? God created, God worked, and so therefore we as human beings um, should imitate our creator in that that sense to work, right? Yep. Uh, but man ought to ought to imitate God both in working and also in resting. Yes, mm-hmm. Lord, right? <laughs> Since God Himself wished to present His own creative activity under the under the form of work and rest. Yeah, right. Yeah, maybe that's why Catholic Underground comes on so late in some television markets. Maybe you know we're in the we're in the uh, the insomniac hours, which yes. I think is great. Yeah, so we'll help you rest or go to sleep. <laughs> Yeah. Listen to our voices. Right. Yes. Dulcet tones of Kathleen. Take a deep Dulcet breath. Tone. Yes. <laughs> right? Take a deep breath. Take a de- right. Okay, so back to resting um, mm-hmm. and working. Uh, God clearly shows us through his creative activity, right, in the fact that he created things, yeah. created the, the skies. He and acted. The, right? Um, that humans were not designed to leave lo- lead lives of constant work. Now, work is good. Right. It's not to say like now you can say I'm going to, you know, I'm going to the beach. I'm going to set up a tiki, you know, tiki hut. And that's what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Nothing. Right. Work is important. Um, If a person so like even our bodies reveal this, right, that we were made to work, but also then to rest. Mm -hmm. Right. Because this is impossible. I know because I've tried many a time because I'm a natural night owl, it is impossible for a human being to never sleep. Mm-hmm. Bad things start to happen to your body and mm-hmm. then finally your body says, you're done, mm-hmm. yeah. power off, done. Yeah. Youth so. ministry lock-ins. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Our, oh my our, Lanta, mm-hmm. oh my gosh. Are definitely. I never quite understood why we do those because Be- it's just a, seep, a sleep it's deprivation redemptive chamber. Suffering, it I redemptive suffering, I think. It is redemptive suffering for the youth minister. Yeah. Yes. But it is, it's something that, that the Lord calls us to work and then he calls us to rest. Right. And so he, he gives us dominion over the earth, right, to say, mm. help cultivate. Right. But he also, in a sense, kind of gives us dominion over our ability to choose to sleep. Right. Because he could make us like fainting goats. When we get overloaded, <laughs> yes. we could just fall over, you know. <laughs> I love those goats. I'm going to get one one day. <laughs> but, but he didn't make us that way. No. He actually allows free will even yeah. to work its way into when right. we choose to rest. Mm-hmm. And he also didn't make us robots that, that go and go and go. Yeah. Right. It's it's in our body. I mean, you talk about theology of the body. This is part of it. Created in our very being is our necessity to rest. Right. Even if we never slept. Right. Mm -hmm. Again, our body would just shut down. Yeah. And would be like that. You just can't do it. People would die of like no sleep, Mm -hmm. I think. 
right? John Paul II goes so far as to say that workers have a right to rest. If we're talking about the dignity of work, yeah. right, and the rights of workers, there's also a right to rest. You hear that, Jeff? You have a right to rest. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, somebody talk to Dave Dawson about this. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Yeah. I mean, that, you know, when you talk about, um, like, that's why we have labor laws and all this kind of thing, like, mm-hmm. yeah. because people ca- aren't designed to be factories or right. machines. They just, they, they have the right to rest, right? Um, JP2 says, in the first place, this involves a regular weekly rest comprising at least Sunday and also a longer period of rest, namely the holiday or vacation, mm-hmm. taken once a year or possibly in several shorter periods du- during the year, right? Yep. So not only once a, once a week, right? But sometime throughout the, throughout the year, you should have a little chunk of time where you can unplug and rest, right? Rest has to be a part of our lives, right? And our soul, not only our body, but our soul needs that rest to not only survive in this world, mm-hmm but also to prepare it for what is to come. Do you ever think about that whenever whenever you're resting and you're mm-hmm. thinking of just how comfortable you are yeah. and you're, you know, you're you're at rest, quite quite literally at rest. And I sometimes think about so is this the kind of the level of enjoyment right. of the hereafter where you're you were just simply um, content. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I was thinking about, I was talking to some students today about silence mm. and I was like, man, how much noise do we have going on in our, in our life? All mm. of it. Right. <laughs> I know. And I, we, I, we were sitting in the church and I said, all right, let's, let's just listen. What do you hear? And they were like the air conditioning, the, you know, the, the motorcycle outside, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, we, we don't even have silence in the silence, you mm-hmm. know? And sometimes like when we, when we rest, or when we rest, when we go on vacation, how many of you say, when I come back from a vacation, I always say, man, I need a vacation need a for vacation. my vacation. Yeah. yeah. Right? Because you pick up right where you left yeah. off, back in the noise. Because there's al- there's also this this idea of, if I'm not doing anything, then I'm worthless wasting. or wasting mm-hmm. time. Wow. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But the idea is, we rest here. If all we ever did was work here, how would that prepare us for for heaven? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How would we get any time to pray or to be with God yeah. or to, to recharge? Mm-hmm. Right? Um, um, heaven is that eternal rest, right? That's what we're going towards, right? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Like your work here is done. Now rest. Yeah, um, shoes. Right. Yeah. yeah. We're destined to enjoy this. And in order to prepare our souls for that rest, we have to practice it now with our bodies. Yep. Right. So that, so that in turn, our soul can rest here on earth as well. So as we go about our daily lives, uh, remember that while work can be super important, and that's not to say that you walk in tomorrow morning to work and just say, I've decided to rest for the rest of the week, (laughs) right? Hold my calls. It is important. (laughs) Rest must also be given a primary place in our lives, right? Allowing both our bodies and our souls an ability to rest in the peace of Jesus Christ so that we can be fully formed as a human being. We're not machines. We're not robots, right? That we can be fully formed, um, and, and be able to to experience that peace and that rest now wow. that we look forward to um, forever. And Father, Chris and I had a, a brief discussion about a silent retreat because I've never been on mm-hmm. one. And he was talking about how, you know, the process goes. And then when while he was explaining it, I kind of fell asleep and took a nap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of the way I work. Yeah. But, but no, the thing about, the, about silent retreats is that you spend a couple of days just learning to be silent because uh-huh. we don't that know how to do it. Is, you know? You're right. Well, we're going to be silent for just a few seconds here, uh, but we'll be right back on the other side of the break. It's the Catholic Underground. Stay where you are. 
Hail Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To thee do we send up our sighs, mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. Turn then, most gracious Advocate, thine eyes of mercy towards us, and after this our exile, show unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary. You are watching and listening to the Catholic Underground. I am Father Chris Decker, joined by Kathleen Lee, Olivia Galino, Jeff Blackwell in space, and Ed Ball, also in yes. space. Yes. He's in a spherical zone of emotion. <laughs> Switching video for us. Uh, our picks of the week are coming up first, but, uh, but no, our picks of the week are coming up. Comma, but first. Uh, <laughs> oh, switching it up today. Yeah, sorry, right. sometimes my comma placement uh, gets semicolon. I was like, yeah. dang it, did I get cut from the roster? No, what did no. I do? Look, we don't we've have got time. calendar time to fill. We've got a whole schedule to fill here. But, you know, one of the things that I encounter all the time and am sometimes overtaken by because you know, you can click and get anything on the internet mm -hmm. is, is kind of this new religion that seems to be cropping mm -hmm. up um, that, that might as well be Amazonism, you know, uh, consumerism, consumerism, right? Yeah. And, and it directly, I never really thought about it until I, until I really, really kind of put it in the brain box that this is a huge deal, especially for people of faith. Yeah. Because one religion almost always has to replace another. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, um, you I'm know, not. I gave a, a talk. Well, we attempt to have one replace the other. I was going to yeah. say, doesn't almost always, it always it, attempts yeah. to, yeah. So I, I was giving a talk at um, the diocesan convocation for catechists last year. Mm -hmm. um, it was just really brief. It was on like the disaffiliation of young Catholics. Um, and in that, you know, researching and, and trying to, to figure out like, what am I going to say? You know, um, as a young adult, like you want to give people hope, but it's just, it's kind of bleak out there. Um, but that was one of the things that I, I kind of prayed with and realized was, you know, John six, right. Um, Lord, you have the words of, of eternal life to whom shall we go? Mm -hmm. And I, that question really stuck with me about to whom shall we go? Right. Because the people, the, the people who walked away, they, they were walking towards something. They weren't just walking away from Jesus. They were walking towards something. Right. And that's what we do, right? You know, if we find something discomforting, if we find something challenging, if we disagree with something in our faith, or if we just don't like the people who uh, who run it, whatever, mm -hmm. then we're gonna it causes us to turn away, or it might. And if that happens, then we are gonna try to find something, even if we don't, we're not cognizant of the fact that we're doing that. And so, I, even as I was thinking about all of this, I was doing research in a coffee shop. I was on a, a trip in, in Arkansas, actually, mm -hmm. and um, we were talking about that earlier. And um, I, I went to go, like, you know, where they have like honey and sweeteners and stuff. So mm -hmm. I like went to go get some of that for my coffee, and they called it the A L T E R, the altar, ah, instead of like the yeah. A L T A R. Mm -hmm. And I like I it struck me so hard and I took a picture of it and I was like, this is this is it. Right. Yeah. When we when we walk away from true faith, we're going to go looking for something else and we're going to create it if it yeah. doesn't exist. Yeah. So think about like our coffee shop cultures, uh, just our like all of the, the kind of sacraments that we have to all of our brand names. Right. Yes. Like these are these are our, the, the altars that we offer sacrifice on now. Um, but even like, right. you know, the, all of the, the kind of communities that crop up that are good, but they don't have a, a center without Christ is, you know, like our, our, uh, our gyms, right. Mm -hmm. You know, your gym, people get up and go to 6am workout, yeah. right. 
but 6 a.m. mass is too much. That's right? just about yeah. to do that. So yeah. there's just like all, the, all of these like kind of subcultures and, and different communities that crop up to replace this or to, to replace what we have as a need for community for religion. Um, anyway, so, you know, recently um, the Pew Research um, had also does, has done a lot of this research into disaffiliation of, of young Catholics. Um, they did a, uh, a, a recent study um, that found that 26% of Catholics under 40 in the United States, 26%, so that's one out of four, believe in the real presence of the Eucharist in the Holy, the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. So, so one out of four believe, three out of four do not, mm-hmm. or believe something that's not right. My, my. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. one out of four. Um, and if the Eucharist is the source and summit of our faith, which it is, um, the fountain from which the, the life of the church flows, then what do we do with that? Right. right? Like, right. like if it's, the, if that's the lifeblood of what it means to be a Catholic Christian, mm-hmm. then that means that we have a bunch of zombies walking around yeah. because they have no true life within them. Yeah. I, I oftentimes think about that, uh, full disclosure. I have three parish communities and I, I wonder, um, again, not looking at people individually, you know, as I'm, as I'm preaching, but I looking at, at data like this, I, I wonder, you know, of, of all of you, of all of you, how many of you understand and believe that this that the Eucharist is Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. body, mm-hmm. blood, soul, and divinity? And those, are, I, I pray silently as I'm as I'm wondering these things or as right. I'm preaching, mm-hmm. because it is it's 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 damnable mm-hmm. if um if this is if the numbers are one in four exactly yeah. that that yeah. are just saying nope I don't I don't. Yeah. And I think I think it's it's a, a, at least a dual problem, right? So there's number one, there's just a misunderstanding of what the Eucharist is, mm-hmm. right? Um, but also there's this this push from consumeristic, really religion, right? Yeah. We have a, a consumeristic kind of state religion now that um, that's that's banding against this this you know, what could be a, a true faith in the real presence of the Eucharist, right? But um, if if I and both of them, and keep in mind, both of them involve consuming, right? Who do we consume in the Eucharist? The body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, right? right. And what are we consuming in our culture? Stuff. Things that die. ourselves. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one way leads to life, one way leads to death, but they're going to fight it out. Um, and a lot of times we see, you know, the, the ground being given to that consumeristic culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just wanted to talk a little bit about today about, like, why that might be. Um, so first of all, realizing that culture as the word culture, right. Falls flows from cultus. So when you hear the word cult, not necessarily a bad thing, Mm -hmm. right. Right. Means something genuine, right. It means genuine worship, right. Cultus rallying around a central source of worship. Yes. A source of worship, a source of reverence, right. So all authentic worship should flow from a sense of sacred mystery that's at the heart of life, right? And that's symbolically represented. If, you, if you've ever been to Europe, maybe, um, or, or a place that's maybe just old, um, then you'll you'll see that there's a church in the middle of the city, mm-hmm. right? So, like, yep. in New that's Orleans. That's not by accident. That's right. Like, so in New Orleans, like, there's a cathedral at the heart of the city, right? Mm-hmm. And even though there's, like, all of this, you know, the, the sprawling kind of suburbs and stuff now, like the city itself at the heart is St. Louis uh, Cathedral, mm-hmm. right? So, um, and even like in Baton Rouge, same thing, St. Joseph's Cathedral, right? Because they're old cities. Um, and this is this is the case in, in all these medieval towns and, and villages in Europe too. Um, and that's because it, worship was that chief act of medieval life, right? It was the thing that, that people oriented their lives around. You know, yeah. when my family and I went to Sicily this past summer, like a, t- a tiny town of like 2,000 people would probably have three churches in it. 
mm-hmm. and they would be like centered because of the way that they like structure their towns there would be like a, a church and a courtyard and that would be in the middle of like one kind of province of the town and granted 2,000 people is not a very big town right um, but that would be the center of where their like their daily life would be right mm-hmm. and then you'd go you know up the hill a little bit and there'd be another church and that would be the center of their daily life um, but without this this credo this this creed the belief set of beliefs that that are embodied then in an act of worship divine worship without a holy sacrifice y'all we're made for sacrifice yeah right we're made for for this kind of ritualistic kind of worship this is we have a a need to express reverence for the divine and we got to do it somehow and we have a body so we say okay i'm going to use a body i'm going to use nature i'm going to use stuff but i i realize that it's all in an act towards the transcendent Mm. but without all of that nothing else makes sense to them right Without yep. that as the central point of their life, it's like taking, you know, the, the nucleus out of a cell. Yep. It's just chaos, right? And death. But then you fast forward to our time and there's a new center in our global village and it's a shopping mall, right? Like think about if your town has like a central kind of point, right? Because we, we live in a lot of like towns that have a lot of suburbs too. But think about like what's the central area in your town, and well, what do people want to live near? Um, what's like the, the, when you think about like prices of mm-hmm. homes and stuff in your area, the most expensive homes are usually the ones that are nearest, near the best shopping and restaurants. Mm-hmm. Because that is what we like center our lives around. Yeah. Christopher right? Fisher says in the chat room, uh, materialism has replaced spiritualism in many people. They cannot believe in the true presence because they cannot consume it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, yeah. and I think that's exactly what it is. We, we go towards... Um, kind of the centers of consumption Mm -hmm. rather than the centers in which uh, the centers in which we are called to consume something that is greater than what kind of gives us uh, immediate pleasure or Mm -hmm. immediate gratification. Yeah. And Ratzinger even says about the Eucharist that um, the Eucharist is the one meal that where you, where what you eat is stronger than you. Mm. Um, And because I mean like the, in the act of eating, right, we consume by an act of mercy uh, a we lesser consume thing. something yeah. that's that's I mean it's just yeah and the act of eating like eating a carrot right, right. the carrot is not going to defeat me the carrot is not stronger than me I am stronger than the carrot it may right? feel like it Kathleen I understand how vegetables are <laughs> I know but, yeah. but like but like that's like the natural process of eating right but in with the Eucharist right because uh, the Eucharist is under the accidents of of uh, bread and wine mm-hmm. I consume it but what's really happening is I am being subsumed into the person of Christ yeah right so in that in, in I'm that allowing one him meal, to possess Possess me, yes. though I am consuming him. Right, but that con- act of consumption on my part is my act of the will, saying, "Okay, Lord, take me." Mm-hmm. Right. So it still involves our will, but what's happening there is not what it looks like on the surface. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. But we don't. It's we don't mysterious, know. Mysterious. Right. It's shrouded in mystery. It's shrouded in mystery, and I think that we. That's another reason why we don't understand the Eucharist now, because we live in this very consumeristic mentality where it's like, no, 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 no. like I consume the things because I want them. And I, I can bring, you know, everything under my feet, like my tiny little kingdom. Yeah. Right. Instead of offering myself to something greater, um, especially something that looks like so much less. Right. Yeah. Like a, a piece mm-hmm. of bread is looks like so much less than me, a human being. But I offer myself to him uh, in that form and I become more of who I'm supposed to be. Right. It, it takes a lot of mental work and it takes a lot of grace um, and surrender. Ultimately. And sur- yeah. You know, we, I think that's also a component of our consumeristic con- culture is that I don't need to surrender. Right. Because I can overtake right. that which I want now. Right. You know. Well, I mean, if we live in this, this 
culture, this um, world now of unlimited choice, mm-hmm. right? That cult of choice then flows this dogma of like radical autonomy, autonomy just being like some complete self-determination. And you have autonomy, right? You have a free will. We've talked about that a few times today. Right. I can choose like, to not get the McFlurry. Exactly. You could. You could choose that. doesn't matter if I choose it or not. The machine's down for the evening. That's but true. But I could choose to not go through the The Lord will choose yeah. for you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, when you're talking about radical autonomy, too, like a lot of the, and, and this is this is implicit in the culture today, is just like, no, 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 no. Like, you do what you will, right? You don't offer yourself to someone else as well. You do what you will. And that's the voice of Satan, right? That's that's what that's what you know. Well, that's that's, that's what the Satan atheist did. creed, right? Yeah. Do what you will. That is the whole of the law. Exactly. That's, and and mm-hmm. yeah, and I mean, and that's that's the the words of of, of Lucifer before he fell, right? I I will not serve non serviam, right? Yeah. Um. So to to do as I will is to make my will paramount to anyone else's. Yeah. Um. So then we we just try to subject reality to our will. Um, so not only do I want unlimited choice, but I want unlimited freedom. I want to determine my life, the, the trajectory of my life. Um, and then if things get in my way, well, then I just take them out of the way, yeah. right? I'll just remove them if by violence, if, nex- if necessary. Um, and so this is, you know, a kind of natural segue into like the, the modern credo of mod- of unlimited choice that you probably heard have here heard about and certainly um kathleen has talked about you know the the pro-choice mm-hmm. right um campaigners right my body my choice mm-hmm. right the the idea that I, I have autonomy over all including um you know all of the the things that are happening within my own body even if it's the body of another person yeah right um and, and the reality is, is that we we uphold that, right? Like you do have a choice, right? You have a choice in the in the the you know the sexual act. You have a choice in the the decisions that come after that. You have to, you have a choice in every moment of your life, right? But you know your your choices should be subjected to who the one who gave you the right to make that choice, the one who gave you the power to to choose. Um, and also, it should your choices have to stop where someone else begins, yes. right? Because mm-hmm. I cannot lord over someone. Um, someone else like I can't you know force Kathleen to bend to my will mm-hmm. right which would never happen anyway but like <laughs> <laughs> because she is the benefactress <laughs> and I am Kevin <laughs> but right but I mean think listen to the in, in the decision of Planned Parenthood Planned Parenthood versus Casey we hear all of this it says at the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence of meaning of the universe and of the mystery of human life right this is what a consumeristic culture believes right that i can define mm-hmm. even the meaning of the concept of existence i mean no. I, I mean i can i can think up something nice but yeah. that doesn't mean that it's true right well know? i'm eventually going to going to come face to face with my powerlessness yeah and that's right. when we start that's when we start consuming more is when we do feel powerless right when mm-hmm. we feel powerless in the face of so much um, uncertainty, yeah. right? We, we look for the things that are certain. We look for the things that we can buy, the things that we can consume, the things mm-hmm. that we can make other people do for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. so, you it's know, it's like that whole long list of St. Paul, right? Yeah. From, from where all sorts of, uh, evil kind of flows into the world is, is yeah. from our trying to cover up, yeah. um, our inability to, to be possessed by God. Right. Exactly. Which we do have that ability, but you know, right. when we when we only give ourselves over to our passions over and over and over again, 
yeah. that becomes the altar at which we worship. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and and that's why, like, you know, we mentioned a, minute, a second ago that, like, if you have an obstacle in, in the way of your own self-determination, you're going to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that one of those main obstacles is faith, right? Because faith makes demands on you. True faith is going to make demands on you. It's not going to say, yeah, 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 you're fine the way you are. Mm-hmm. Right? No, faith makes demands mm-hmm. um, because love makes demands. Yeah. Right? Love makes demands. If you've ever been in a relationship where like no one, you know, asks you to, to do anything or, or um, I almost like I don't like when people say unconditional love. Right. Because love has conditions. Right. Love makes demands. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you've ever been in a relationship like that, it's probably not a real relationship or maybe didn't last for very long. Right. Because we were made for that. Um, and so faith gets in the way of, of that radical autonomy. Um, but what also, you know, what we also need to think about is how faith is like the solution or like the counter revolutionary movement to, or like an antidote to Mm -hmm. that, that same, um, consumerist mentality, right? Maybe you're recognizing like, I do some of these things. I think some of the things I know that I do, right. And I have to fight against it. Like the, the idea that stuff is going to make me happy or that, you know, I can be the arbiter of my own happiness. Like, no, I definitely cannot do that. Right. I will Mm -hmm. make myself miserable. I bought a new pair of shoes, uh, on the internet a couple of days Ah. ago. Uh, some sneakers because my my adidas sambas have finally just some died sneaks. Uh, some mm. sneaks some new kicks and uh and i actually today i know i noticed uh that i had missed the email saying that they were available for pickup at the post office because my mail doesn't get delivered because mm. i live in weirdsville um and uh and i thought to myself darn it I have to go to the post office and pick up the, yeah. why could, and I began to have like this, this thing happening in my mm. mind where I was becoming this, this shoe buying rage monster. <laughs> I was like, man, this is a pair of sneakers. And here I am, yeah. you know, getting caught up in it myself. Yeah. You know? I mean, like, and that's a, a good way to test it. It's like that if the slightest obstacle can like send us into orbit, right? Then, like, <laughs> and, like, but, like, Shoes, yeah. Imagine like when another person like gets in our way or like appears to get in our way, right? And then that's when we really see like, yeah, my will has become kind of all powerful. Mm-hmm, I've right. tried to make it that way. And yep. we all do this, y'all. We all do this. Um, but that's why our faith and its radicality, right? We're, we're still called to something radical, but what are we called to that's radical, right? Um, and, it's, and especially something that, that in a culture that, that worships radical autonomy, like what can we do that's also radical but in the right way, right? So if we're going to reject the, the slavery of modernity, then we have to return to the vitality of tradition. Yeah. And that might seem odd mm-hmm. to you, right? Because you think about tradition as just like, like fuddy-duddy, like, yeah. I don't know, like traditions that your family had and like houses with wood paneling and like, you know, <laughs> tradition is, tradition is for the birds. Right. Tradition, tradition is, for, is where like, the stick meets the mud and yeah, stays there. Right. Yeah. Well, tradition is where people tell me what to do and don't care about what I think. Right. 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 Um, but mm-hmm. I love the Gustav Mahler, who's actually a composer, you know, he's not a theologian, but he, he said something beautiful about tradition. And I think about it a lot. He said, tradition is not the worship of ashes, but the preservation of fire. Mm. Right. So it's not that we're like looking on the past and and deciding like, oh, this is what was good. So we're going to try to recreate in the present moment. But everything is just going to lack in comparison to what was. No, no, no. We're going to preserve fire and we're going to pass it on. Right. And that's what that's especially what we do um, in the Catholic Church. Right. This is fire is dynamic. Right. It's it's energetic. It's something that's alive. Right. It's the past continuing into the present. That's what tradition is. Um, If we were sure if we were to pass along ashes. Yeah. We're not passing on along anything that's living and the church would be dead. Right. But we're not. We're passing on something that's truly alive because it's Jesus himself. Yep. So, you know, when the modern consumerist asks, what do you want in your worship? The traditionalist, right, someone who is, is um, given over to tradition, says, 
instead what worship is most worthy of the divine right mm -hmm. the traditionalist is, is drawn out of themselves towards the transcendent recognizes that no, no no this is where i need to orient my life even if i don't always know how to do that and then surrenders himself to to the divine to god which is why our faith is um is tactile mm -hmm. right that's why we we see and hear and touch and taste yeah is because the lord knows that it is through our senses because he made them it is through our senses that that we will we will counter culture right, right. that we will that will be part of a true culture a right. true cult of worship of him right and so when he gives us the sacramental system and all the things that point towards it it gives us a sure way to to kind of turn our mouse clicks into a genuflection so to right. speak you mm -hmm. know yeah. Well, and even the things that we do in the church that are bodily um, are, are like acts of reverence and worship, like like when you venerate a relic with a kiss. Right. That's a radical sign. Um, and you're you're proclaiming against a consumeristic mentality. and You're you're proclaiming that the transcendent is real. Right. And you're drawn to do something about it. Same with when we prostrate ourselves before the Eucharist uh, in a monstrance, when we kneel on both knees, when we pray, we open ourselves to an action of grace. When we worship in a sacred language, if you've ever prayed something in Latin, if you've ever said the word amen, then you've done this. Or, right? or you've been to Fatima and said the International Rosary, which right. is a different uh, decade in a different language. Wow. Right. <laughs> we do that. We're a radical sign. When we dare to remember our death in a culture that's scared of death, mm -hmm. then we do this. We're a radical mm -hmm. sign. When we genuflect, when we sacrifice our desires and our whims to the to the of the moment to the eternal, we're doing this right. So when we process through the streets or down the bayous, that like people do here, um, with mm -hmm. with joyful chants and incense in the Eucharist, right? This is what we're doing. When you confess your sins to a priest, this is what you're doing, yep. right? Uh, and it's weird, right? It's really weird. Our worship is really strange, but um, you know we argue um, the the you know. The person that's doing this research, Sam Guzman, is also saying the same things, that it's a good thing that your religion is weird. And if it isn't weird to the world, then maybe we've lost some degree of our faith, right? Because mm -hmm. it's radical, right? It's radical to give yourselves over to the divine, but it's what you were created to do. Yeah, I, I, I like being a weird Catholic. Yeah. yeah. You know, I wear that like a badge, although it would look weird on my clerical attire yeah. if it was in fact a badge. <laughs> but actually the collar is just a weird badge, yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. Already, yeah. And that's the, that's the beauty of who we are, is to realize that everything that we do, like the, you've heard me say it, the priest wears black as a sign that, uh, that this, is, this is not the end. Mm -hmm. uh, we are, the priest is called to be dead to the world. Uh, the, the color black is the, yeah. is the color of the inside of a coffin, you know? Yeah. And, and yet, uh, yet there is something for which we live. And as Catholics, we are called to live that reality um, in, in many, no, any number of ways. But first of all, by, by worshiping at the altar of God, exactly. not the altar of other stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, speaking of, uh, of, that, uh, of that stuff, we do have stuff to talk about, and we do it in that part of the show that we like to call The CU Pick of the Week. Yeah, yeah, we know we shouldn't be talking about consumerist things, but... One of the things about our picks of the week is it, it does indeed perhaps help you a little bit. A sure. little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, they're not always faith-based, but uh, this is me trying to apologize for this segment. That <laughs> 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 uh, is what it is. Consumerism it is, is, is bad. Here's some stuff, y'all. Buy this. That's right. That's right. Well, well, let's see. Uh, how about we go to Olivia first? Okay. Ha-ha! 
Thank you. Finally. I'm, I'm just, and he remembered my name. I'm giving I'm giving day. Kathleen a buy so she has time to choose a pick of the week. I <laughs> okay. have one. I know. A non-consumer-based pick of the week. Sorry. Uh, sorry. I have yeah. one. No. Yeah. Go so, ahead, Olivia. This is my time, y'all. Sorry. No. sorry. No. My pick of the week is a book called Bible Basics for Catholics. Awesome. Uh, a New Picture of Salvation History. It's by John Bergsma, who is, I believe he's a professor at Franciscan. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's a, a biblical scholar that's just incredibly renowned. Um, and this is a book out of Ave Maria Press, um, so you can get it directly from them um, or, you know, on any bookseller website. But what he does is he basically goes through scripture and he puts everything in the context of covenant. Um, cool. So it's a way of reading scripture and it's it's a medium-sized book, but the font is, you know, a nice size too so it really won't take you long to read he's got some like fun illustrations and stuff in this picture yeah Um, so like just to to illustrate what he's talking about in a way that's really like simple and kind of edifying Mm -hmm. um but yeah it's it's great so far i'm using it um in my work um and i'm i'm really enjoying especially like that that's his kind of central motif and he takes it all the way through but it's a way that really makes sense so if you've ever struggled to make sense of scripture or why certain things happen or why we um you know have old and new testament all this stuff then like this is the book for you. Cool. And he also has other books in that series. So mm-hmm. that's the yeah. Bible basics. He also has New Testament basics. Yes. Psalm basics, which sounds which, really yeah, cool. Right? I want that yeah. one. All right, uh, Kathleen. Yes. <laughs> Your pick of the week. <sighs> okay. And this may shock you, but to keep my fair Irish skin <laughs> so glowing, mm. um, I don't do a lot of, of face regiment like uh, usually if i use cream it gets in my eye i'm blinded bad things happen <laughs> and then there's this, the astringent right which oh, which is a good burn but uh, probably not really good for your skin i found this stuff and let me tell you i bought it at target because it looked pretty mm-hmm. okay, okay let's be That's honest how we buy it. it's called garnier skin active micellar Ooh. cleansing water Okay, and it's like bubbly water. It's like got soap in it, I guess. But it's. <laughs> <laughs> it remo- I, guess. I don't know what it is. <laughs> it removes your makeup. Not not if you have like waterproof mascara, you'll yeah. be rubbing for a while. Um, it cleanses and it refreshes your face. Yeah, this is the. O- I buy stuff in this this kind of. What how many ounces is this? Thirteen ounce bottles. Mm-hmm. I have several of these laying around my bathroom, of mm-hmm. full of stuff that I just don't like. I'm almost done with this. Mm-hmm. This is the first time I'm gonna like because it's it is refreshing. Mm-hmm. I do feel. Very very clean and I don't feel like I've just stripped away eight layers of skin and I'm not drowning in um you know mud masks so there it is if you're looking for something this is for men and women I believe oh well yes thank you we all have skin Mm -hmm. thank you Garnier you're welcome (laughs) (laughs) I love that you're like you're like not commercial like I don't know it's got soap in it maybe yeah whatever she's not reading the back of the bottle for you that's bubbly that's beautiful Mm -hmm. Jeff, you're picking me. In the show notes, uh, I posted uh, Drew Brees is in trouble. Oh, yeah. Yes, this week he posted a video of his kids going to a Christian school, and it was bring a Bible to school day. So you Yeah, think, why not? Yeah, why not? Well, it's, it's optional. There's some folks out there that didn't care for that too much. So uh, he actually uh, posted on Twitter almost 2 million views right now. And I, mm-hmm. I have it in the show notes if you want to take a look at it. Oh, yeah, just kind of a Twitter thread, huh? But he, uh, uh, yes, and he professes his uh, his beliefs in Jesus Christ. And I don't know that he's Catholic. I know he's Christian, though. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so uh, check it out. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, Drew Brees, of course, uh, the, the big guy for the New Orleans Yeah, Saints. the quarterback. You, you, you happen to find, uh, find us from a... A non-saints mm. venerating. Yeah, that's um, true. He's the goat. That's very good point. Good point. Uh, so they say, the yes, the kids goat. talk about him. The fainting goat? No, he's mm. not the fainting goat, no. uh, actually. 
What my, you got, Father? My pick of the week is something that Ka- that Olivia, not, <laughs> that other Kathleen, <laughs> Kevin, <laughs> Kevin. <laughs> that Olivia would like. Uh, this I just want to say I might like it. You never. I've known you I as long as Kathleen has. I have a theology degree. Thank you. He still calls me Kathleen. He doesn't know who I am. Continue. I, uh, you I are like, in trouble. I like books with drawings. Uh, <laughs> I, I like graphic novels, as you know. And this mm. is the Passover Haggadah graphic. Oh, novel. Mm. So if you want to know the story as well as the liturgy of the Passover... <gasps> does it read uh, right to left? Arizada, it does. Oh my God. Arizadok and Jordan Gorfinkel Ooh. have indeed written a graphic novel for you. So it takes you through the whole story oh my gosh. Of, uh, of, of Israel's redemption cool. to the Passover. And it also has, it also goes kind of line by line through, yes. uh, through the liturgy of Passover as well. And uh, it's it's good. There's some kind of tongue in cheek where it's appropriate, but mm. it, it's it's also still at the same time um, very very reverent to because uh, I mean these it, this came this actually shipped from Israel because oh uh, Arizadok who also uh, writes a, a graphic novel or like a web comic about his family and his his dog um, uh, is is very 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 funny and very good uh, good wholesome family. So uh, the Passover Haggadah graphic novel. Haggadah. I'll put that. In the uh, in the show notes, and I might not get it back because <laughs> I see that uh, Olivia Haggadah. is already. Bye, Felicia. Look at <laughs> there you go. Look at the ice creams they got. Haggadah. <laughs> he signed it. And he signed it. Yeah, because <gasps> it says uh-huh. Happy Passover. Yep. Yep. Oh and gosh. that's that's the there's a little lamb a little lamb there that's uh, one of the, the the explainers if you will oh of, of the uh, Passover meal. Oh, so wow. that's my Amazing. that's my pick of the week. Well, you know, we are always grateful for our viewers, our listeners, our benefactors. Uh, In short, for you. Isn't that right, Jeff? Absolutely, Father. And this week, the Catholic Underground is possible because of people like you. Join the growing number of undergrounders at catholicunderground.com forward slash donate. And an important way to support us is to like us, heart us, star us, and share us on your social media platform of choice. And if you really like the podcast... Pop by iTunes, leave us a review, and click them stars, people of God. Yes, uh, please do all of those things. And please share. Like, if you like the Catholic Underground, uh, let people know that you've been watching or listening. That uh, very means a lot to us um, because sometimes you just want the whole thing to say, <laughs> we're going to shut her down tomorrow. <laughs> and then yet you speak up and say, we can't follow yeah. you because the great show. So, uh, so we'll keep making it as long as you keep letting us know to do it. Yep. Uh, our panelists this week have been Kathleen Lee, the benefactress, the Faith Ninja, the Hope Samurai, Kathleen yes. Kaylee626 on Instagram. Thank you, Kathleen. Anytime. Olivia Galino is at the real dot OMG. No, the the, oh the dot real dot OMG. Yeah, I told Thank, you it's complicated. Thanks, Olivia. <laughs> Kevin.com. <laughs> our technical director is Jeff Blackwell. He's at jeffblackwell.us and Jeff Blackwellis on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks, Jeff. Always a privilege, Father. Our research assistant, the leader of the crew in the glab, the glab is Jim Hayes. <laughs> Why not? Oh, it's flying apart in the seams. Our video <laughs> director and the graphics director for this episode is at Ball. You yeah. know me. I am Father Chris. You can follow me on Instagram and on Twitter and just about everywhere else at Digital Catholic. We hope that we've helped you cut through the noise and find that still small voice. We are the Catholic Underground. We are Faith Gone Digital. And we will see you next time. From the Catholic.